0: Log Talk Radio Let's get lost in a better
1: place Pick up the world, travel through time and
2: space So much to learn, so much to see
0: A chance to escape reality
1: Open your mind, in your heart
3: MJ will bring you there So let's talk
1: about it life and I'm used
0: to saying good morning, but I'm going to say good afternoon for the first time ever in a while. This is Fran Lewis, this is MJ Network, and this is going to be so over the top. Fantastic. We have the best panel on the universe. And when I told this to people yesterday, they were going like, oh, my God, that is fantastic. We have Dick Belsky, John Land, Alan Jacobson, Stephen James, and Philip Margolin, And I've got the question. Hi. And I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this for forever. It's,
4: It's still morning. (laughs)
0: I've been reading since 2 o'clock this morning Because I said, oh gee, i got to well, finish this book Maybe, someday I didn't finish it, sorry I uh, drank coffee instead um, So hopefully uh, <laughs> it's something so, well, you know, Alan, a... I should
1: just say, Alan, that I, I asked Fran when I got the, the note, I said, wait a minute, we always do this at 10, and she yeah. said, well, Alan's on the West Coast, and I'm like, uh, hey, come on, man, get up a little, but we're doing it in your time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it's, it's that. Alan, all right,
0: Alan, yeah. She's so bad for Phil because she's getting up early on Monday, so I showed some pity, but, yeah, I can't do that to Alan. <laughs> After all, Karen Will will come and get me. I can feel That's it in right. my bones. Oh, I see I got that right <laughs> you know it. So I have some general questions And I'm going to throw the first one at Alan And anybody that wants to chime in after Whatever And I have questions I think I sent everybody The ones I want to ask you And if I run over the time who doesn't matter The main character of a novel Faces many challenges <laughs> So does I sometimes when I read it um, <laughs> How do you create these challenges And how does it affect their jobs And their daily lives
2: Well you know The the first challenge, the primary challenge, is, is the mm-hmm. story. That's, that's the jumping-off point for the story, what happens in mm-hmm. the beginning, which is often called the inciting incident, that, that starts everything off. Um, it, it could be, in the case of a, a, Karen, a Karen Vale novel, a serial killer, mm-hmm. a, a murder. It can be something that's happening uh, in her personal life, uh, to bring up your point about affecting their jobs and daily lives. But whatever it is, and usually it's, it goes to the main plot of the story, it is something that is significant and grabs mm. the reader and engages him and her emotionally and makes the reader want to you know, continue on. And it affects the, the character in a way where the character has to react, and that reaction propels the story forward. And these challenges can be a lot of different things. It could be news that the character wasn't expecting. Like I said, it could be a discovery of a of a body. It could be something in their personal life. Uh, you know, in Spectrum, which was a few Karen Vale books ago, it uh, is something out of her past, the discovery of a body in New York that harkens her back to her first day in the job as an NYPD Beat cop, and now that you know the killer was never caught, and now it's it's continued. Another killer, another body was discovered. She knows it's the same killer, and bang, we're you know we're propelled forward into the story. As to how it affects their jobs and daily lives, well, you know if you've got a character that has depth, and we know what their job is, we know what their daily lives are like, the important people in their lives, their coworkers, whatever the case may be, it's going to affect it. Uh, it. it if, if it's one of these types of things that is uh, mountain moving where they have to figure out what's going on or they have to find this killer or they have to solve the, the, the mystery that is uh, created by this opening incident, then it's going to impact them, their jobs, and you know, their spouses, their kids. It, it should affect all of that to, to be something that engages both the character and the readers emotionally
0: does anybody want to add anything to that before yeah, I yeah you know questions. I was
1: and, you know and, and, yeah I'm listening to it, I'm obviously I agree with all that uh, Archie Vilsky here and um, you know When you talk about the challenges in the story, one of the things Mm. I actually love in a lot of novels, and I've tried to do it in in the one I just have came out, Beyond the Headlines, the Claire Carlson book, is um, where you kind of make the reader think you've answered all the questions up front. In other words, you sort of present at the murderer or the crime, and everything, you know, is, well, this is what happened, this is what happened. And, uh... You kind of lull them I guess into a false sense of security, and then you suddenly basically the character then begins to dismantle everything that you thought you knew um, and i I did that in this book, and I love it when other books you know have done that mm. um, so you know it it doesn 't always have to be this giant challenge in the beginning, you can sort of, like, well, where is this going? they answered all the questions, and, uh, and uh, you know, the protagonist then begins to ask more questions, and it comes apart. And then the personal thing, I think, you know, in most books, um, you know, and in mine, certainly, yeah, there's always some kind of a B story. Uh, you know, in my current book, mm-hmm. my character is being offered a big job on the West Coast it would change her life, um, and, you know, that kind of feeds into the... Uh, into the, into the main story. I mean, you know, I think all of our books probably do various variations of this. Um, we, you know, we just do it in different ways. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you need, you need both, all those elements, really, in, 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 in your book. You this know, is friend, so, this is
5: John, this is oh, John Land, and oh, uh, mm-hmm. everything Dick and Alan said. Um, and I'd add one thing. When, when I yep. start a book, or the, the structure of all my, for my example, all my books, but especially the Caitlin Strong books. They have a structural core and an emotional core, an emotional arc and a structural arc. Um, and ultimately, those two arcs intersect. They cross. There's a direct relation between what the emotional struggles of the characters are. Mm. and what it is they're trying to resolve. What is the big thing? What is the MacGuffin they're after? Give you an example. In Strong from the Heart, which is the uh, most recent Caitlin Strong book, Caitlin Mm. is on the trail of the real force, the real power behind the opioid crisis, which is rising in spite of the fact that all these big pharma companies have basically been put out of business or – Put under control. Well, how is it still getting worse? Well, that's what Caitlin uncovers. Why? Now, that's the structural core. The emotional core of the story is one of her surrogate sons, who's a high school senior, ODs after on opioids and almost dies. Beyond that, in the book before Strong from the Heart, she suffered. Caitlin suffered a, TB, a, a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, for mm. which she's being treated with Vicodin. And what she realizes in the course of the story is that she has become addicted herself to the very scourge that she is fighting and trying to um, destroy. So if you, with my books, I'm always looking not only for what is the core of what my characters, my heroes are after, what are they trying to do, but how... Mm. It connects with their emotional lives as well. And if you have those two things, there there will not be a separation between what the character is experiencing internally and what they are experiencing externally. You're right.
4: This is is Phil. Um, I've got it easy because I do legal thrillers. (laughs) So so, uh, it's always... You know, in my uh, Robin Lockwood's the current series I'm doing, and so what uh, gets everything started is a case, because if you're a lawyer, uh, you're sitting around your office, and then someone comes to you because they've been arrested. In most of my books, it's murder, um, so uh, A Matter of Life and Death is my latest one, and um uh, mm. The first thing is what gets it started is the case of a homeless man who's charged with a, in a death penalty case. So then the second thing, which I agree with is the interaction between uh, Robin and her, her client. How does she react to the person that she's representing? Does she think they're innocent? Does she think they're guilty? So if you're writing legal thrillers, it's pretty easy. You just, have your character sitting around drinking coffee or something, and then someone will come to them with a problem.
0: That's interesting. Steven, do you want to add anything? Well, I'm going to ask you the next question. You ready?
3: You know, what? one thing I was thinking of when Alan was speaking earlier is he mentioned that the character has to react. And this is something yeah. that I think is not really brought out as much as it could be in a lot of teaching about writing is that, there mm-hmm. is a causal, there, there's a causal nature to stories that something happens and it causes the next thing to happen, and they react and respond. And so sometimes when people mm-hmm. are reading something, like I don't understand why this happened. Well, it's usually because there's been a, a blip in the causality. So there's an old example: um, the king died, the queen died. And you're like, okay, that's not really a story. It's just a list of things. Or you could say the queen died and then or excuse me, the king died and then the queen died. Now you're like, okay, well, there's order, but still. Or you could say the king died and then the queen died of grief. Now you're on your way to a story because you have that reaction, you have that causal connection between events that builds up with, uh, with every scene of your story.
0: That's interesting. Now I have the next question for whoever wants to answer it. When creating an adversary... You know, sometimes I read a book and I wish that the villain would win, and that the the protagonist would just take a trip someplace else, like the one I'm reading right now. Uh, it's really sad. No, it happens. Sometimes I just want the killer to come back and kill off everyone because everybody is getting on my nerves, which is not good. So, when creating an adversary, does it have to be a killer? Can it be a coworker, a jealous person, or somebody that wants to get even? With the main character? And did you ever create a villain that everybody wants to come back for another (laughs)
1: book?
0: (laughs) That's just my brilliance. What can I tell you?
1: Well, you know, Fran, I think it depends on the kind of books you write. Because, like, in my books, Mm -hmm. and and, and possibly in some of the the, the others, too, um, the villain is, you know, is not clear-cut. I mean, it's not a, you know, a straightforward uh, thriller where, you know, it's the good guy against the bad guy. Um, I mean in most mm. cases the uh the villain in my books will be somebody that is appears likeable and so cuz you know if if you, if you have a, if you have all these bad things on page 10 and you you know they're like okay well he's the killer um, so the trick a lot is that you make uh you know you have a lot of red herrings you have somebody who appears mm. to be a villain uh but who isn't and then you don't find out until the end and often the villain obviously um, is not the uh, is not the it's not the person you thought it is but I now to me the main thing in the, in a villain um I, you know mm. not, not startling, but the main thing is that that the villain has to be a, a worthy adversary to the
5: yeah. to your protagonist,
1: and that could be in terms of a lot of times that's in terms it must be in terms of intellect uh it, you know at times it can be in terms of power or or physical strength or whatever but um but yeah that that cat and mouse that you play in the book is is, is crucial, but like i said. In my books, you know, you generally don't find out who the villain is until until the end. So I, I'm not you sure don't. that your question really is it really works in in, in, in in that kind of a book.
0: Okay. Well,
1: this is this is Alan. Um, I, I think
2: you can have an adversary, you can have a coworker, mm-hmm. you can have um, a setting. All these things in a book it doesn't have to be one or the other uh, mm-hmm. or two of them. I mean, you could put all of them in and Sometimes I, I I have, and multiple ones mm-hmm. of you know you. So you know, Vale is an FBI profiler. There's another profiler in her unit who she doesn't really think much of, and uh, you know sometimes they don't get along well, and and uh, Vale doesn't make a, a secret of it, and you know they have this back and forth, and sometimes it works against her, and sometimes you know in spite of it. It's funny, even though, you know, he may not find it funny, uh, but he'll jab back, and it creates a little comic relief, and that's okay, too. I mean, I I think that's more than okay. That's sometimes uh, great, because it can help in many ways uh, with the character and and the storyline, but I think... An adversary does not have to be a killer. It, it could even be a situation or, like I said, a setting. Uh, no Way Out, which was the fifth book in the Vale series, uh, it's set primarily in England. And Vale's never been there, and even though they speak English, it's a very different culture. And even mm. the English they speak is very different. And sometimes she has no clue as to what they're saying. And it can be very funny, which it is often, She, you know, her confusion. Um, but sometimes... You know that that whole culture. When she's trying to get at an, an issue or some facts, it becomes an obstacle, and she has to fight through it, uh, even relative to the police and how the police police. Very different from how uh, certainly federal agents do here in America.
0: That's so
4: interesting. So, this is uh, Phil again. With legal thrillers, you you have a, a built-in adversary in the uh, the prosecutor. Mm. And so uh uh the <clears throat> the 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 heroine is always going up against uh a DA. And so you have you can have a DA that everybody dislikes, uh, but some of the uh Robin Lockwood mm. uh, goes up against uh some district attorneys who are very well meaning and ethical. Um but they're still an adversary. So you can play around with, with the, the prosecutor, uh, and you can either make them someone who's who's sleazy or ethical. Uh, and then, of course, you always have a second adversary. And in, in most of my books, not all of them, the client is an innocent person who's charged with a crime. And so the the second adversary is, Who actually did the the murder so you have you have two built-in adversaries when you're doing a legal thriller the prosecutor and then you also have the police who again in in the Robin Lockwood books I have two homicide detectives that are in most in the books and they're very nice uh, decent people uh, but they think they've got the right person so uh, you can play around. You don't have to have an adversary who's a horrible individual.
5: Fran, mm, this, this is John, and I, I think what Phil says is, is is spot on, what everyone says. Of course, on, on all your panels, of course, I always agree with Dick Belsky. I try. That, that, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that goes, that goes that's without saying. That's because you're is, so brilliant. You you're Alan, so brilliant, John,
1: obviously. <laughs> you know. Of
5: course, but you know, usually you say what I'm about to, and of course to have Alan – Steve and Phil on as well. I mean, what, what you have assembled. I don't even know what I'm doing on this panel. I mean, I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a token idiot. But the <laughs> oh, thing about villains, on. there's an old saying oh <laughs> that great heroes are made by great villains. And the thing is, when you write a series, and I think all of us have written series or a writing series, um, you're always going to have your hero. And there's only so much you can do to hmm. your hero because you know you have to bring them back. But a villain is normally a one-off. They're in, and they're, it's one and done. So you can do whatever you want. And when a, when a villain gets away from you, when a villain starts dictating to you what yeah. he or she is going to do, that's when, you ha- that's when I have the most fun. I have one chapter that I've written in my entire career, chapter 41 of Strong Vengeance, uh, the third in the Caitlin Strong series. I can't read that chapter because it scares <coughs> me too much. Because what – and nothing happens – there's no violence. It's, it's all dialogue. But that is the, it's the introduction of this villain. And he's not even the main villain. He's a sub-villain. But he scared me so much in this scene. First of all, I couldn't wait to kill him. And secondly, um, again, I'm, I can't read that chapter anymore because it scares me too much. Literally.
0: <laughs> then
5: in Strong Light of Day, which is my favorite uh, entry in the entire Caitlin Strong series, The villain is Callum Dane, and I really didn't have a good handle on him when I started, but I realized who he was when, in his second scene, um, he beats a one-legged young man to death with his prosthetic leg. I had never intended to write that scene. I don't know where Mm -hmm. it came from. Um, I I hope it didn't come from me. I want to blame the fact (laughs) that it came from Callum Dane. Because Callum Dane decided that he was this, an, an irredeemable villain because of his temper, because of his impulses. He's a creature of impulse. So when this young man pisses him off and, caught, and threatens his company, he cannot control himself. So I think having fun writing a villain, sometimes creating a villain who maybe goes too far. You can always pull someone back, but it's mm. harder to expand And and look for something deeper. So I got to tell you, I know a book is going well when I'm having fun writing the villain. And we've all done so many books. The challenge is, how many different ways can we develop an evil person or an ambiguous person? I mean, there are only so many things you can do, and you can rely on tropes like make. You know, you can have you can have your, your share. You can have a pedophile in one book, and you you can have um, someone, you know, get something, you know, another trope in another book. But at some point, you're going to run out. And this is the magic of Stephen King. This is why when people ask me, who's my, who's my favorite author in the long term, I always say Stephen King. Because he creates villains that are, all, that are always different and always so hateable, you can't wait until they get what's coming from them. And in my mind, that's the mark of a great villain. The reader can't wait to see them go down.
0: I can give you a list of more people to add, seriously, <laughs> that i getting on my nerves that you could use. In uh, real life? In real dentist. life, no problem. Uh, I've got them all week aggravating me. So,
1: and, and, um, and let, you know, what, One one little side note to what uh, John oh. just said. It, um, this Dylan is a topic is that fun. came up in another, in another interview I just did. where He talked about... Uh, you know, it's easier to pull back if you go too far with the uh, with, with mm. the villain of the story than to than to not go too far. Um, and you know, that's something that I deal with a lot when I'm doing my books. I'm like, should I do this? Should I? You know, am I going too far? Am I pushing it too much? Um, and, uh, and, and 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 the, the answer is, uh, I always say. I'll, I'm going to go too much rather than too little um, because mm. yeah you can always you can always pull it back but you, you don't want to play it too safe you want to you really want to push the envelope uh, on everything including the villain I think as much as you can uh, because you know you can always you can always change it but um, more more is better than less I, I I think in most cases
0: well that's why I get ice trained after I read all of your books because I read them in an <laughs> hour and a half seriously so. How do you decide, oh Stephen? How do you decide on whose point of view that you present? Did anybody ever read what right one from the point of view of the villain or someone else that speaks up for the villain? Did you? ever whose point of view do you express when you're writing this particular story? But sometimes the villain feels they're totally justified, as I've been reading seriously. Yeah, I mean,
3: in in my perspective, most of the time, the I do have multiple points of view characters. So the main character, the protagonist, we usually have that person's point of view. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the villain, um, maybe a couple of other sort of peripheral characters or a potential victim and so on. And that's so that you can create um, suspense. It's one of the reasons why a lot of suspense writers and uh, thriller writers uh, have multiple points of view because you can then show peril to a character that the character is not aware of. But now the reader is. So the reader's worrying about it. The reader knows from the other point of view that the bad guy's in the house. The villain has a knife, and he's waiting in mm. the house, and now we're back in the woman's point of view. She drives up to her home, gets out of the car, and takes her, her keys out, walks up to the front door, and all your readers are saying, don't open the door, don't open the door. He's right on the other side. He's got a knife. He's got a knife. <laughs> well, that, that sense of suspense right there is created, can be created through uh, dramatic irony when you allow the readers to know the character stone, so I do often use that in in my stories That's so interesting. On, oh, this is phil on on point
4: of view um, mm-hmm. it, it, and this is, has to do with editing so um what I found early on was that if you have several characters in a scene, uh one way to make the scene effective is by. Trying to decide whose point of view you are using, and a lot of times when I'm I'm working on a scene and I'm doing my editing, so I've written the scene, and I take a look at it, and I maybe there's three people, and if you tell it from one person's point of view, it's boring. Second person's mm-hmm. boring, but then the third, uh, it really makes the scene interesting. So as a hint in editing, when you're going through. Through your uh, your books, try to figure out if, if if something seems like dull. Try shifting the whole uh, scene mm. uh, by seeing it through the eyes of a, a different person in it, and I think that really helps. The other thing mm. is I on uh, I don't, I I find it easier to write a full length novel than a short story, mm. and the reason I find it uh, difficult to write a short story is usually you have to or first person actually you you have to tell everything from one point of view and i don't like that i like the the flexibility of uh in mm. of doing uh, uh third person because you can change the point of view so if uh, if you do a first person then you're stuck uh in in just what the particular uh person can can uh, see. So that's another reason I like to do different points of view, a third person. So you can, you know, you can put one scene in, in Russia and another scene in, in Portland, Oregon, uh, which you can't do if you're just doing everything through one po- person's point of view. Yeah, uh, this is, yeah. This is
2: Alan uh, Jacobson. I, I agree a hundred percent with Phil and, um, the the only thing I would clarify, at least I, I think this is what you were saying, but it's certainly something that I believe is, I, I'm I don't like the uh, omnipotent narrator or or points of view that jump from one person's head to another. If I uh, move a point of view within the same chapter, I'll use a you know a section break uh, double white space and then go into the other per- person's point of view um, otherwise I find in my opinion it confuses the reader the reader doesn't know you know who's whose head they're in at the moment and at least for me as, as when I put myself in the position of now I'm reading a book and I'm the reader uh, I know I get confused when I'm jumping around in somebody's head and uh, I, to me I've never f- felt it was a sophisticated form of writing it's, it's an easier form of writing because you could just be in anybody's point of head uh, point of view anybody's head you know throughout a scene um i find it much more interesting uh to, to have one person's point of view in a particular scene and i love phil's suggestion that if if a scene just isn't working or it's dull or it's not going anywhere try a different person's point of view that's in the scene uh, i think that's That's brilliant. Um, And the point of view is is really important because there could be things that one character doesn't know, which helps you as the writer hide something from the others uh, and potentially the reader as well. So uh, point of view is perhaps one of the, the least used or mastered things, I think, in a lot of stories or novels.
0: Well, I have a question for Stephen, and now you're making me realize that I only write from one point of view—the dead person. That's it. Whoever's dead. I'm serious. Whoever's dead, I can't stand dialogue. So whoever, number no, writing special, Whoever's dead gets to tell their point of view as to why they're there and what they want, <laughs> wrong. Sometimes they just deserve it. What can I say? So I told you I could give you a list. So in Stephen, in your book Synapse, which is the first one I read. The villain is an organization that created artificial intelligence that lied to them to make them feel more secure in their death. How did you create that? That was like, and how did you relate that to Jordan? So I have specific questions for people for their books. Because this oh, way you sure, know yeah. it. No, no, I
3: appreciate your asking. So, uh, you know, in this book, uh, Synapse is a near-future thriller, so it takes place 30 years from now, and I thought, what would when machines have free will, consciousness, and self-awareness? Mm-hmm. Let's just say they do in 30 years. What will they choose mm-hmm. to believe? And so this one um, machine, this robot Jordan, wants to basically live forever, and he's been promised that he'll live forever in this uh, sort of virtual world. And and um, so and then as the onion begins to unpeel, he finds more and more lies throughout it, and you know, for me, what always makes a story intriguing, I guess, for me, is mm. when I don't know how it's going to end, like when I'm writing it. I, I think a lot of the guys on the panel know I'm very organic. I don't <laughs> plot anything out or outline anything at all. And so so it's a constant, um, you know, process of discovery. So as I'm writing it, I'm always, I'm always thinking, wow, I wonder what would happen if this or if this twist was going to happen. And so... So that was a fun story because I didn't know – I had no idea how it was going to end when when uh, when I was writing it. And so for me, that's a big part of the journey. And and I love – I actually love that process of uncertainty and discovery. You
0: know, I enjoyed reading it because it was different, and it, and it did not put me to sleep, which is really good. I mean, it's <laughs> fantastic. And not, Well, none of your books put me to sleep. I never know what John's going to write, ever. And um, – yeah, they should me sometimes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a really scary. Story. What can I say? So Dick, how do reporters stretch the truth at times? And Claire, is she really good at it? <laughs> Well, wow, I, I uh, you know, good. In, one
1: are, we, are we talking about said, real life or in my book? <laughs> uh, you know, in uh, do uh, do real life reporters sometimes stretch the truth? Uh, yeah, oh, yes. I guess they <laughs> they do. Um, and you know, and it's a question of how much is uh, stretched the truth. You know, I truth. I spent most of my years working at tabloids, and uh, uh, mm. you basically you were. You were trying to tell the story in the most exciting way you can. I don't know if that would be stretching the truth as much as just you know uh, making it more dramatic and 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 presenting it in in a different way. But the, in in real life. Um, you know, truth is the most important thing that a, a really good journalist uh, deals with uh, on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, you know, a, a journalist in real life uh, shouldn't, in most cases, wouldn't be stretching the truth. Now, you know, in my books, uh, the truth is being mm-hmm. stretched all the time because it's fiction. And you know, like uh, the, the the thing I always I've said uh, many times is. Um, uh, my reporter, Claire, so in, in my life In my real journalistic life And I've been in the business since I was young And I'm not young anymore uh, <laughs> I have never once I have never once heard of Seen, known, or heard of a, newspa- or a Reporter of any kind Who solved a murder case on their own uh, I mean, they might have worked with the police But I don't know any time A reporter solved a murder In my book Claire Carlson solves a murder every book, you know. It kind of like, uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know uh, Cabot Cove, you know, like every time Jessica turns around, somebody's being murdered and she's solving the case. Um, and that's the that's the beauty of the fiction. So yeah, there's a lot of truth that's stretched in my books. Um, but I you know I like to think in my journalistic career, I you know I clung to the truth a lot more than uh, than Claire does.
0: Yeah, but when I listen to the news and on different stations, the same news story. I get different point of views.
1: Well, that's you know, not. Get... Yeah, I don't know. That, that that that's a whole different thing, and you know, we could do a whole panel on that. But you know, what is yeah, what's, what's come about? What's come about is like you know, like there's no longer the you know, in most cases, the straightforward news account. Uh yeah. You you get a you get a take on it, and 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 you know, you'll get a completely different take on MSNBC than you'll get from Fox. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just they're giving the news with opinion. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily stretching the truth, although, you know, somebody, if they don't agree with the political thing, say, oh, that's not true, that's a lie. But it's, um, you know, the journalism I grew up in, and probably a lot of us grew up in, was that the journalists mm-hmm. presented the facts and, uh, and yeah. people then uh, made, the, made their judgment. Um, but that's, that's, that's certainly changed a lot, uh, in, certainly in politics in, in, in recent years.
0: Alan, I have a strange question for you too, based on I'm Karen a and then John, person, and him, I, I'm beginning to like like whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote these questions at two o'clock in the morning one day when I was drinking coffee. So I said, so if they sound, just remember that. What could I say? Karen does what's necessary to get a case solved. She goes out of the box, and by the way, I like the guy that she goes sparring with. I think he's really cool. It to keeps her on. It keeps her on point. But I really think exactly. that Robbie needs more of a more of a, a role in her next one. No, seriously. Yes. Yeah, like I've her heard boyfriend. that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: so what was the question?
0: The question is, how does she go out of the box? Because well, she doesn't do things the ordinary way. Right. She does it her own way, which makes it more interesting. How do you create that where she doesn't follow the rules all the time? Which is good because if she did, I'd be bored. Well, absolutely,
2: and as would I. And um, <laughs> you know, what I do, as as all you guys know, I do a lot of research, as as a lot of you do as well, um, for my books. And when I sit down with somebody in law enforcement, and I say, "Okay, what? This is what I want to have happen. What if this?" and they stare at me and they go like. Well, what do you mean? We don't know. We've never encountered that. We don't know how that would how to handle that. And you know if you get a person who's an outside the box thinker, you get mm-hmm. that type of creative thinking that of course we authors you know thrive on. And, but but these guys, whether you're talking about a medical doctor or a uh, an attorney, or a law enforcement officer, you know, they have their rules and regs, and they follow those, and they have to. Otherwise, they don't stay around too long, or they get caught on video and bad things happen. Um, but, uh, you know, so when presented with these types of outside-the-box issues, they don't really know what to do with it. So I have to walk them through it, and you know, unless I get a, an outside-the-box thinker. If you get a creative thinker, that's like gold yeah. in the bank to, to all of us. Uh, as writers, but um, so sometimes the uh, thought, the idea will come for those discussions that I have with my research sources, pulling it out of them as to, okay, then this, okay, then what, then how would you do that, and then now what would she do? And sometimes mm. it's just, you know, me sitting in, uh, you know, an empty room saying, okay, uh, this is what she's, she's going to do whatever she needs to do, to find this killer, or, you know, get to the bottom of whatever is happening, Uh, find the missing person, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, she's got a 4,000-page book that the FBI gives federal agents as to what they can and can't do, and how they're supposed to do everything. And, um, you know, that could be quite onerous. Uh, And, and. She does her best to follow the rules, but every once in a while, you know, something may happen where she may sneak a peek at something she may not have to. Or she gets creative and finds a way around it that she's able to, um, you know, get get at the killer that, you know, you can look at it as this is not a real. So she's not worried so much about prosecuting the case. Um, she's not concerned about, well, you know, this fruit of the poison tree, is that the the right term, Phil? I
0: think so.
4: Yeah. So,
2: she, you know, as far as the reader's concerned, she is going to find that kid that's been kidnapped, or she is going to find that killer who's been murdering women and men, and, you know, that's what the reader's rooting for. The reader, my readers at least, are not saying, wait a minute, you know, did she get that warrant (laughs) in time?
1: Because that wouldn't, you know, so
2: Uh, It's not that I ignore it. Like in Red Death, uh, the most recent Karen Vale novel uh, that's set in Hawaii, she does um, have to wait for, or theoretically, she has to wait for that warrant to come through, and they're working on it, and she does find a creative way to perhaps look around in a place that she's supposed to wait for that warrant to come through, and you know, it's not necessarily illegal, but would it hold up in, in court? Would it be challenged? Uh, we don't care.
4: <laughs> we want her to get that.
2: <laughs> we want her to find that killer.
0: She's so amazing because she's so like me because so I want to know something. I don't care what I have to do to find out either. It's really good. So, Bill, <laughs> Thank you. I, have a, I have an odd question for you. Well, Robin is an MMA. She can fight. I know that. She's really good at that. So, as a criminal defense attorney, um, what a real, what a real life, ex- what real life experience are in your novel, and how much of Robin is you? And are you going to have her come back and beat up somebody again? Because that makes me feel so much better.
4: <laughs> well, you know, the, being a criminal defense attorney, I did uh, 25 years. I did 30 homicide cases and got yeah. to argue in the U.S. Supreme Court. So, um, this is. This uh, uh, is stuff that I can use to make scenes more realistic and not have to spend a lot of time on research. So that's one thing about having been an actual, you know, actually. I've done everything in uh, real life that's in the books, except I don't have – I haven't had karate fights and uh, (laughs) I don't have – I I haven't slept with my clients, so uh,
1: <laughs>
4: so I I wanted to, but I had a very mean wife, and I said, "Can I sleep with my clients?" She said, "No, I can't do that." But
0: I don't think this whole was was like a, I don't think it was she bad like that at all. Well. Bad,
4: bad marriage. She didn't understand me, but what? So no, but the, <laughs> I actually had a, a fantastic marriage. But anyway, so so the point is that. Um, A couple of things are very useful. Uh, The easy one is uh, that anyone can see. Is like when I have a scene where a a lawyer is meeting with someone who's charged with murder uh, in the jail, well, I've gone through the process of getting from the street level up to the jail. I know exactly what the the contact visiting rooms look Mm. like. Uh, I can describe the emotional uh, feeling that you have when you're sitting with someone who might be a killer. Uh, so all that stuff's very useful. But I think the best, uh, the most interesting thing that probably most people don't know about is legal training is fantastic for editing. Uh, mm. When when you get, when you go to law school, the big thing that you learn is uh, how to be unemotional and objective about your your work and and that 's absolutely necessary when you 're representing somebody um, you you've got to be completely emotionally withdrawn from from the situation uh, so that you can make cold, hard decisions because a lot of times uh, what you're doing is telling someone after looking at all the evidence that they're going to lose and they're going to go to prison. And so uh, can you, you know, you, you, if you get into it emotionally, you like your client, and so you want to fight to the death. Uh, mm. If you're going to lose, that's a very bad way to advise your client. Well, when you're writing, uh, you wouldn't write a chapter if you didn't think it was pretty good. You know, so you'd erase stuff. But then uh, my legal training kicks in, and I take a look at the thing uh, unemotionally and objectively, and it really helps me to pick out stuff that's not good and say, you know, I thought this was really fabulous, but l- looking at it uh, as if I was someone who just bought this book for money, and I'm I'm reading this thing like, you know, you were talking about, Fran. Uh, you read a book and you really something really bothers you about it, so I have yeah. to look at that chapter that I've just written that I think is the most brilliant thing since Macbeth, and then I have to say, well, maybe it's not. This doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. So I think the legal training really is uh, very helpful in editing.
0: Well, anybody that has a chapter they're not sure of, just send it to me, please, and I, and I will tell you why. It's it's not good. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there <laughs> looking this. It takes me an hour and a half, two hours to read a book. If it's, you know, sometimes if it's five, 600 pages, it takes me longer, maybe, you know, three hours. And then this book has been staring at me for four weeks. Does that not tell you something? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I feel so bad because it's well written. It's just that I hate the main character, and I wish he would disappear bit time. (laughs) So before I forget, because I have a question for John, this should be really cool. Um, (laughs) Monday, we have Alan Topol, Dennis Palumbo, Lance Russo, Philip Margolin, and Jim Nesmith in a panel. We're going to talk about how you bring your work. Into your novels. That should be interesting. On the 26th, I'm doing something at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yes. Minister Sam Oliver is going to be talking about fear, hope, and how we can get along in this hard time. He's really soothing. He makes me feel so much better. Dick, I'm hoping I get the book. Before the second, I, uh, not, I, I, just...
1: I, yeah, I've been in contact with them, Fran, and they're sent, they claim they're sending it out uh, now. That's the print copies of uh, my alter ego of Dana Perry, who I also write uh, uh, books under, and uh, that uh, they, they say it's on the way to you, uh, Fran. If
0: I don't see it by the end of by the beginning of next week, then just send me the PDF, and my friends at FedEx will do anything I ask because they love me. <laughs> on this. On the third, this is a very sad book, The Day Before I Died. Uh, The author asked to talk about it. On the seventh, and I truly hope this book gets to me, Don Bentley is going to do the first uh, with the new Tom Clancy book, Target Target Acquired. I'm like so excited. On the eighth, John Gilstrap. And on the tenth, um, David Arnold. And on the fourteenth, Brian Silverman with Freedom Drop. So that's just some of June. And the end of June is going to end with Tess Govinson and Gravy Braver, who choose me. Now, John, this one is all saved for you. Caitlin and Court Wesley, who I love, I love C- oh, Caitlin, but I
5: love Court Wesley,
0: create their own form of handling cases. How did they break the rules and get away with it? And I love it. And why? Well,
5: they get away with it because it's so cool. the reader <laughs> allows them to get away with it uh, because it's personal. If it's always personal, mm-hmm. um, then they have, a, they have a, a vested interest in what's going on. So mm-hmm. the more your readers are vested in your characters, the more they will tolerate logic leaps and the implausibility of – someone said – we were talking before, and someone was talking about – a couple people weighed in on just the, the, the absurdity of a lot of what we do. I mean, when you think about what my Caitlin Strong character has killed more people than all the Texas Rangers combined in modern history, and that's the 20th <laughs> century. That's Lone Wolf Gonzales, the most famous. That's Frank, Frank Hammer, who was brought out of retirement to kill Bonnie and Clyde, which he did. Um, And that's not even an exaggeration If you add up all the people she's killed In 11 books It's more than anybody We see police shootings We see see cops being fired Pulled off the streets If a cop killed 2 or 3 per people They would never see a gun again At least not in that jurisdiction Um, So what we have to do Is create characters Who are so engaging And so easy to root for that the audience looks past all that stuff, as Robert Louis Stevenson, Stevenson famously said, when he coined the phrase "the suspension of disbelief." It doesn't matter if you believe what I'm writing is real; all I care about is that you do not disbelieve it. So, with Portland Court, Wesley, and Caitlin, each book, they're evolving. They're they Caitlin's ca- surrogate sons and Court Wesley's real sons are aging one year every book. They have to deal mm-hmm. with that. They have to be parents slash surrogate parents, sur- surrogate parents. In one book, a couple books ago, Court Wesley suffers a mini-stroke, and he begins to fear he's never going to be able to do the things he, he has been able to do all his life. He's not sure he's ever going to be able to fire a gun again because of the, damage to, the lingering damage to his mm. hand. Um, now, look, spoiler alert, he gets better. But just like Caitlin's addiction to opioids, to Vicodin, in Strong from the Heart, that becomes the, a, a driving emotional force mm. in the story. And if the emotional force carries the day, the reader will tolerate almost anything. You can There's no limits. And this is something that, that's come up also. This is a wonderful panel because it's also come up that, that – we are that we will the more outlandish the villains in some cases or the more outlandish the plots um in some cases what you said fran earlier holds true you will put the book down or wish that you had in other cases if you're engaged with the characters you won't and you'll be swept away by the story i was Mm -hmm. reared on the original James Bond movies, with the only James Bond as star, Sean Connery. There is no other yes. James mm-hmm. Bond, in my <laughs> yes. in, in my not so humble opinion, when it comes to that. And those plots were the most absurd things in the, in, with the exception <laughs> of From Russia with Love, which was grounded totally grounded in reality. Everything else, from Goldfinger to Thun, well Thunderball was pretty close, nuclear terrorism, Doctor No. Uh, at, to the point where it, um, in a movie made in 1962, and this is the point I want to get at, released in 62, made in 61. At one point in the movie, Dr. No, this is not in the book, as they're having dinner, at, uh, Bond listens to Dr. No talking about Spectre and talking about this plan, and he looks at him and goes, world domination. Same old plan. That's 1961. <laughs> now it's 60 years later. And I'm still doing the exact same thing. I'm still doing world domination, <laughs> country domination, destruction, all that stuff. But it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter what you're doing. What matters is how well you are doing it. And if you're doing it well, and you're, and this is how our recently retired friend Lee Child um, I feel really bad for him. He didn't make, it, make enough money in his career off Jack Reacher, so I don't know how he quit, right? This is how he sustained a one-horse series for 21 books. Who's Reacher? You know, he has no portfolio. There's no, there's no continuing plot, really. He gets off a bus. He gets off a train. He gets off out of a car that he hitchhiked in. He cleans up a town. He gets back in the train. And, and, but this is how, because it's so engaging. Because Lee Child is such a goddamn good storyteller, nothing else matters, and that's you know that's what we all hang our hats on.
0: Well, he needs to yeah, stop sending I, me his books because he doesn't love me. What can I say? <laughs> he doesn't
5: send me anything.
0: But,
1: you know, ev- everything. Just,
0: it's so sad. Everything.
1: <laughs> everything there about the character. You know, I think about that a lot with yeah. so many of my favorite books. You know that that it's the you you buy in and it, and you just go wherever the character takes you. And I, I know this sounds. Uh, like terrible to say, but some of the people I love the most, you know, the stories aren't even that. Like you were talking about the Lee Child and Jack Reacher. I mean, I mean, I've read every Spencer book there's ever been. You know, Robert Parker didn't write great stories. He wrote a great character, and you didn't care. You just went with the Spencer character. And you know, I know it's hard to believe, but. When you start to analyze the great Raymond Chandler or Philip Marlowe books, some of those stories don't really make a lot of sense either, you know. doesn't it matter. Can't. doesn't matter because it's Philip Marlowe. And it's like with James Bond. You just go with him, and you love him.
0: Well, there are some authors that I stopped reading because it's just the same main character and the same plot and the same 10,000 women that he sleeps with. So sad. But if you like
1: the character, you'll accept it. I mean, I I think that's because the character probably doesn't work as well as it should.
0: He's he's sort of pompous. There's a program that I watch, and I'm wondering if anybody, before we end, we have about eight minutes, would ever do something like this. It's one of my favorite programs because I learn a lot about murder. Murder, accident, or suicide? And it's really interesting because once you go through the program I can actually figure out if the person killed the person it's never accident or a suicide. And my husband can't stand <laughs> it because I'm always right. I'm always right. After this. I mean it's it's an interesting concept. If they, somebody gets killed and they can't figure out if it was a suicide or it's a murder. So before we end, what do you what is anybody coming out with next? What's next? So the, and when am I getting it? No, seriously.
2: Well, this is Alan Jacobson, and uh, I'm coming out with a, a new uh, set of characters. Uh, the, the novel's called The Lost Girl. It'll be out in two months, so the end of July. And it's set in Northern California. and involves, um, uh, well, let's just say, a, a mother who uh, lost her daughter and husband in a horrific uh, accident and mm. has to find a way through. And uh, she learned some unsettling truths along the way, and uh, that is the inciting incident that drives us forward, and certainly a lot of emotional connection in that and a lot of um, thrilling scenes, as is my style.
0: We'll be there on August 23rd when Alan takes the spotlight at 12 o'clock. I just That's thought I'd right. throw that in. No? And Good. Dick is coming Good. on in June well, 2nd, we hope, well, and tell yeah. us about that one. Well, me
1: let me... Yeah, let me just say, uh, R.J. Argybelsky. Let me just say, uh, obviously, my new one, Beyond the Headlines, the Claire Carlson, just came out in May. I love so it. I'm very thanks, and I'm and I'm very, you know, so I'm very involved right now in in you know talking to people about that. And yes, uh, my uh, my Dana Perry book will be out in June, which will be on the way to you. But I want to say one other thing, and I don't know if we mentioned this, uh, you you know mm-hmm. about this, friend, but um, I'm also in a in an incredibly interesting kind of crime documentary series on Netflix right now called. Sons of Sam, descent oh, wow. into darkness, and what what it is. It's a four part series about whether there was more than one son of Sam. And I don't really have an opinion on it, but because I was a journalist during that period, um, mm. I'm interviewed on it, um, and I've got all sorts of people who see me like, oh my god, people I haven't heard from in years. But it's a really it's kind of fun being on TV, and it's an interesting series if anybody wants to check it out.
0: Well, it's interesting because the son of Sam killed somebody near where I lived when I was growing up.
1: And that's probably
0: why I wore blonde hair instead of dark hair then. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Stephen, when am I getting yours and what's next? I was so excited to read Synapse, finally. Oh, thank you.
3: So I'm actually working on a new spy espionage um, series. So uh, we don't have a release date right now, so the book is will be out at some point soon. But uh, stephenjames.net is the place to go for info and updates about that. So but I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. On the show as well, I've really enjoyed it and getting a chance to hear some of the insights from some of my, my writer friends.
5: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: John, when am I getting Caitlin, or what am I getting next? Or am I getting Margaret Truman? When am I getting uh, anything? there's
5: a Margaret Truman book next uh, February. A long time okay, away. Okay, like schedule. For, <laughs> for, for, yep, for, forever. Um, but right now, I actually just released a book um, called "The Living Room." How come room. I don't know? Uh, it was it was a different publisher. They don't do anything, so uh, no surprise. Most publishers do nothing. Uh, we know. so or, or most publishers do nothing for ninety nine point nine percent of their books. I should say. Uh,
1: right.
5: That's a topic for another panel. Yeah. Uh, you know. And, yeah, we need to talk the about living that room, another time. It's it's twenty one profiles of survivors of stage four lung cancer. Um, I wrote it with oh, the. Wow. With the uh, with the head of the largest lung cancer organization foundation in the world, Bonnie Adario, mm-hmm. a force of nature. And, um, you know, if, if it is, you know, I, if I had to coin a motto, um, if, if, if you know, you, you the, or, or something in this business, it's about being versatile, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that, um, I write nonfiction, <laughs> I write fiction, I write memoir, I write pretty much anything, um, And I'm really proud of my nonfiction and The Living Room, um, the story of lung cancer survivors that makes you believe that miracles are possible and that cancer, we may never cure it, but we will be able to manage it. And this is proof of of how and why. That is
0: really great. Phil, when am I getting the next Robin Lockwood?
5: Well, it's
4: actually um, in New York being edited. It's called... uh, the matter of life and death is the one that's out now. Uh, the darkest place is coming; uh, will come out next March, and uh, we're in the final stages of editing. And then I've I've got the one after that because <laughs> I've been uh, waiting on the edit, So uh, I don't like to just mm-hmm. sit around and uh, twiddle my thumbs. So the uh, I'm about 130 pages into the Robin Lockwood after that, and I'm really enjoying uh, writing the character uh she, I've sort of gotten into uh having fun with the series and um I try to make each one uh a standalone so you don't have to you can, don't have to read them in order uh there are continuing storylines but uh, I really make a, a very strong effort to uh, uh, write a bo- write a book in a series so that if you pick out number 4 you don't have to have read one, two, and three, but uh, I, there's a, there's uh, at least two more Robin Lockwood and like I said, because I'm really having fun with the character.
0: Are you going to do an Amanda Joffrey? You see, I know what she writes. I got this.
4: Well, Amanda <laughs> Amanda actually is in a matter of life and death.
0: Yeah, I know. Because I when like you that.
4: do when you do a death penalty case, you've got to have two lawyers. It's uh, it's required mm-hmm. in Oregon. So uh, that gave me a, it was really fun because Amanda Jaffe is one of my I have three series one was Dana Cutler, um, uh, executive privilege uh, they they all three take they take place in the three branches of government uh, Supreme Justice Supreme Court and um, uh, executive privilege was is the president a serial killer and then uh, capital murder which takes place in the Senate and then I have another Dana but uh, Amanda's in five books. And uh, I really liked her, and then when I uh, decided to – I used A Matter of Life and Death. Uh, it's, a, it's a thriller with surprise endings and all sorts of action, but it also uh, shows a reader how you actually try a death penalty case, which is way different from any other kind of civil or criminal case, including a regular murder case. But you have to have a second lawyer, and I was thinking I could invent one, but then mm. I I love Amanda Jaffe, so I said I'll, I'm going to put Amanda in as second chair, and she plays a, a important part in the in a matter of life and
0: death. Well, one of my one of the, my doctor's offices when I seek I called to make an appointment two weeks ago. She said you don't you are bringing me Phil's book. Yeah. I, I, I just came to visit her. I didn't come into the office. She just said to me, I haven't had any reading material, so all of your reading material went to Christie. All
1: of it, just about
0: everything. And for those of you that don't know, know, Population is Zero, A World Without People, because I can't stand people lately, (laughs) is coming out June 26th from Atmosphere Press. And I'm promoting it myself. And like I said before, I went into Rite Aid. I went into the bakery. I went into the restaurants, the fountain diner, and 52 copies of my book disappeared. Everybody's reading it. So it makes me feel good, and I got some good reviews, but of course I'm not you guys, but I'm trying. And it's it's nine worlds that you wouldn't want to live in, and I invited a dead person to come back and tell what they experienced in my world. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but before we end, where, where can we find all of you? If anybody, seriously, my show's booked until the end of September, so if anybody wants, you know, needs, needs an interview or something, just let me know because I want to put you in my schedule. I'm also doing um, a blog tour with Partners in Climate, in August, and I'm excited. Isabella Blackthorn finally is going to do one with me in December for Population Zero. So where can we find out about everybody, and where can we get more of your books?
2: Well, this is Alan Jacobson, and you could go to alanjacobson.com. And uh, you can go to Amazon. I have my author page all set up with uh, all my books and bio and everything up there. Yeah.
0: And, Stephen, where can we find out about yours? And I can't wait. You have to send me whatever it is. Just send it, people.
3: No, that sounds good. So, stephenjames.net. stephenjames.net.
0: And Phil?
3: So I, I'm a tech
4: idiot, but I I have a I do have a a home page. I think it's www. com. I I don't know how to get on it, but if you do know how to get on it, there's a section that says contact Phil, and you can actually ask me questions, and it goes right to my um, email, which I do know how to access, and I respond I respond right away. And then the books are all over there—you know, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and independent bookstores. Uh, anywhere you can get books, you can you can get uh, a matter of life and death. And Phil, See, Tom, you got where the can we
0: find out write. all about you? Because I need all of your books more. John, uh, where do we get? Where can we find you? Oh, sorry, you. And I—I'd say you know I
5: always, I, I just go—I I tell people just go to Amazon. You know. um, Yeah, me too. It's it's gotten to the point with Barnes and Noble where, you know, Mm. they they don't even know the books they have in their own stores. You know, they'll say yes, here somewhere, but uh, I don't. We don't know where. And then it turns out they never ordered it, or it was ordered and then didn't come in. Um, They're an absolute mess. I don't know how much longer they can even survive, the way they're doing business. Um, and the way publishers are are not are, are not getting their books in Barnes and Noble anymore. So Amazon is is always the best way if you want you know for, especially for for titles that may not be as well known. Some of my nonfiction titles are more specialized, so they fall into that category. And the books are always available on Amazon. They're always there. You can always get them. I know. You know, and that's something. Say what you too. want Call about them. Amazon. We'll get yours. You know, but that's it.
1: Yeah and and uh and uh, I'm uh, www. Uh, com is the website uh you know and I'm pretty active on Facebook and all the other places Twitter and stuff too um I also would put in a plug, and obviously I, I agree on the Amazon thing. It's the easiest way to do it. But if you ever have a chance to buy any of my books or any of our books from the you know the independent bookstores, uh, I did a, mm-hmm. a book uh, launch at the Mysterious Bookstore, which is you know here in New York, which is one of the great legendary mystery stores, and uh, I did one in Pittsburgh at Mystery Lovers. Uh, any of those stores, um, you know, it's great to, to do them. But yeah, you know, it, it, everything is available, obviously, on Amazon or all all the other you know, all the other online services that, that people use. I would like to,
0: I would like to target and everywhere, everywhere you guys are. And I'm on France. I'd like
4: to add something. Uh, Independent bookstores have really gotten hit hard because of COVID. I, I, I uh, really urge people to use their local independence. um, Yeah. And if they don't have them or they can't order them, then you you should go to Amazon or B&N or whatever. But uh, I would urge everybody to to get your books first at the independents because I know in Oregon, a lot of them are really hurting. They just got through the epidemic by the skin of their teeth. And uh, I always try to go to an independent bookstore first before uh, I would go anywhere else.
0: They don't have them up here, but I do buy my stuff from Strand once in a while, because I find that they they have my books actually. Some of them, which surprise me a lot, and they have some really great. They I get their emails all the time, but the independent bookstores, I agree with you. Um, so, John, where can we find out about Caitlin, and when am I getting something?
5: Uh topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. We, we have to. <laughs>
5: We
0: have to do one on opiates again because I just watched something on a cha- on Channel 81, was it A-something, about opiates and the opiate crisis and how pharmaceutical companies really don't care. They just justify everything. But anyway, it's beautiful outside, and like I always say, um, just one small ask when you go outside. I know I'm fully vaccinated, but I still wear a mask. I won't shut it off, I'm afraid. And um, everybody... Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe and bye.
1: Thanks, everybody.
2: Bye. Thank you. Bye.